We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews and the fourth chapter. The book of Hebrews and the fourth chapter this morning. And I'll be reading and then preaching through verses 14 through 16. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, as we continue in our verse-by-verse exposition through this very important letter. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your great mercy and for your grace today, for this opportunity to gather together as your people to hear your word proclaimed. And we would ask now that the Holy Spirit would do that work that only he as the sovereign spirit can do, that he would open our eyes and our ears to your truth, that he would grant us an understanding of the text that's been stated this morning and that we will look at carefully together at, and we would ask that he would grant us understanding of it and that he would apply it to our own lives in such a way that our minds are renewed, our conduct is transformed, and you receive all the honor and glory for all that we say and do and think. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Brethren, the Christian life, as it is revealed in Scripture and as it is revealed in Hebrews chapter 4 in particular, is a life of rest. A life of rest. It is a life of resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who purged us from our sins and who released us from Satan. For Satan kept us restless and striving after those things that could never bring us true peace. But through faith in Jesus Christ, you and I enter into a rest that has been purchased and appointed for us, a rest that does not depend upon our performance or upon any need within us for perfection, but rather it is a rest in the perfection of who Jesus Christ is, and what Jesus Christ has done. For the rest that we enjoy as believers in Christ is not our rest in the sense that we have earned it or in the sense that we have somehow contributed to it, but it is his rest, Christ's rest, which he has graciously given to us. And so all that we know and all that we experience in terms of true spiritual rest We experience and enjoy because of Jesus Christ alone. And yet not only is the Christian life a life of spiritual rest, but it is also a life of holding fast, a life 
of holding fast. For while we are certain to receive and enjoy all that Christ has given to us in an ultimate sense, there is still in our lives a practical and experiential sense in which you and I must hold fast to what we've received. You and I must not forfeit that which has been given to us through our own faithlessness or our own disobedience or our own neglect of God's appointed means. Because what we have been given must not only be acknowledged, what we have been given must also be highly appreciated by us as God's people. And we must hold steadfastly to it. For that which is not acknowledged, that which is not valued, that which is not held steadfastly to can easily be lost or forfeited. In fact, brethren, during times of war or during times of conflict, that which is not held steadfastly to can be captured by the enemy. It can be stolen away. It can be taken And our adversaries can rob us of that which once sustained sustained us if we are not diligent to hold steadfastly to what we have and not let go of it regardless of the cost. And of course, this is true in the Christian life as well. For if we know anything about the Christian life, if we know anything about this journey through this wilderness life that we're currently embarked on, We know that we are surrounded by adversity and conflict. And our enemies would like nothing more than to take from us, to steal from us any comforts, any spiritual assurances that we now possess and enjoy in order to disarm us and discourage us and distract us along the way. And this is especially true when it comes to our enjoyment of God's rest, which, again, is the writer's primary theme here in Hebrews chapter 4. For when it comes to acknowledging Jesus Christ as the source of our spiritual rest, when it comes to valuing his work and appealing to his grace to sustain us in his rest, we must be holding fast to our own confession of him. We must be holding fast to our own confession of him. In fact, this is what the writer exhorts us to do here in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. For he begins by declaring that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. A remarkable statement. And this is a significant statement because it reminds us that our Lord's ascension is a reality. That he did ascend into heaven and he is now seated in heaven as our great high priest forever. And given that he has ascended into heaven, let us now hold fast to our confession. Or in other words, since we are now assured that Jesus Christ has passed to a place that no other priest could go. And that he is now seated in a place that no other priest could sit. Let us not fail, let us not neglect to hold fast what we have confessed about him. For now is not the time, now is not the time to lose sight of what we've learned about Christ. Now is not the time to draw back 
in what we have committed to Christ. Now is not the time to ease up in our service to Jesus Christ. Now is not the time to fall silent in the way that we should witness for Christ, but rather now is the time to hold fast. Now is the time to stand firm in our confession of him. For surely now that we've come to this place, now that we've gone this far, now that we've received this much light and we've received this much truth from God, our enemy would like nothing more than for us to release our hold on Christ. Our enemy would like nothing more than for us to show less confidence when it comes to stepping out in faith. Our enemy would like nothing more than for us to be timid and less determined to share the good news of the gospel with others. For our adversary, our enemy knows that when we stop holding fast to Christ, when we loosen our grip on our commitment to his person and to his word, we start to falter. We start to fall back. We start to become preoccupied with ourselves and our own agendas. And gradually we begin to forfeit that rest that has been appointed for our good and even for our enjoyment. Therefore, brethren, it is critical that we hold fast to our confession, that we not forget what we have confessed and that we continue to confess it. It's important that we refuse not to give an inch, that we don't give an inch, that we refuse to give any inches to unbelief or to doubt that we resist any temptation to surrender the ground that we have already gained, that we repel the fiery darts of the adversary by wielding the shield of faith and by using the word of God skillfully and confidently. For when you and I fail to hold fast, when we fail to keep Christ and our confession of him close to our hearts, we leave ourselves open, we leave ourselves vulnerable to doubt, to discouragement, to unbelief, and even to a state of spiritual distress rather than an abiding state of spiritual rest in Christ. And yet how can we hold fast to our confession? Given the fact that we are weak, given the fact that we do have a tendency to be spiritually wayward, given the fact that our own lack of spiritual courage and determination is very keen at times, how do we hold fast? Well, the truth is, and I think we all know this well, that you and I cannot hold fast to our confession in our own strength. But rather, we can only confess Christ. We are only able to remain committed to that confession that we've made to Christ through the help and grace of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, only through his help, only through his continuing grace. In fact, apart from grace, you and I would never have confessed him at all, right? Apart from grace, you and I would continue to deny him, but grace entered into our lives through the work of the Spirit, and we have confessed him as our Lord and as our Master. And even as believers, we would surely deny Jesus Christ every day, just as Peter did, if the grace of Jesus Christ did not sustain us every single hour and every single minute. 
So rather than pounding on our spiritual chests this morning and boasting that we would never deny Christ, in a sense, that's what Peter did, remember? I will never deny you. Though other men deny you, Lord, I will never deny you. Rather than being like Peter, let us be aware of how desperately we need the grace of Christ to help us to confess him to hold fast to that great confession that we've already made. And, and let us avail ourselves of the means that Christ has appointed to extend us the grace and the spiritual courage that we all need in abundance. And I want to emphasize that word courage. These are the days for Christian courage, my friends. We need it in abundance. We need it in abundance, for even as believers, we can fail in our resolve. We can fail to hold true and steadfast to the confession that we've made, even before many witnesses. And the fact that we could fail and that we're capable of failing should greatly humble us, cause us to fall to our knees and ask for the grace and help that we need. And how can we find the spiritual determination and grace and courage we need to hold fast to our confession of Christ, which in itself is a gift from Christ. Well, notice here in verses 15 and 16 of Hebrews chapter 4 that the writer first tells us how we should look to Christ, how we should look to Christ and to his sufficiency for us. And then secondly, the writer reveals how we can receive that determination and grace which is necessary to hold fast in the face of many temptations. And of course, how we should look to Christ has already been revealed to us in verse 14. For we are to look to Christ, we are to rest our eyes continually upon Christ as our ascended high priest. As our ascended great high priest. For if Christ is the source of our confession, then he must also be the sustainer of our confession as well. If he's the source, he's the sustainer. And how are we to see Christ as the sustainer of our confession? Well, the writer urges us here in verse 15 to see Christ in a particular way. Notice this. This is very interesting. There's much spiritual food here. Listen carefully. We are to see Christ here in verse 15 as the one who can sustain us. Why? Because he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. For although we have weaknesses, and although there will be times when our courage wanes and our knees tremble in the face of opposition, Christ does not despise us at those times. Christ does not reject us at those times. Christ does not turn away from us in those times. But rather, notice the text, he sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. For Christ knows that it was not by means of our own strength that we confessed him in the first place but rather was by the power of his own grace working within us that you and I were enabled to confess him openly. And it is only by the power of his grace continuing 
to work within us, continuing to open our mouths to speak of him, that we're able to stand before an angry, Christ-rejecting world today and confess him again and again and again. For again, if we were left to ourselves, we would fail again and again and again. And yet the good news this morning, the news that still gives us hope, the news that continues to stir up the courage that we need within us, is that he is not unable to sympathize with us. Nor does he look upon our weaknesses as reasons to refuse us, or as I said a moment ago, to turn away from us. I don't know about you, brethren, but that is good news. That is comforting news indeed, that he will not refuse. He will not turn away from us in our worst moments. But rather, he understands our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses, given, the text says, that he felt the full weight of them himself. For surely there were times in Christ's own life and ministry when he was tempted to draw back from his great confession. In fact, we read of times that Christ struggled in his own ministry. Think of Christ in the garden as an example. And yet before an angry world that hated and mistreated him, Christ declared, Christ confessed openly the truth of God without faltering And rather than admiring him, rather than rewarding him for his admiration and his character, the world, what, crucified him. The world put him to death unjustly. And yet even in the midst of his sufferings, Jesus held fast to his confession, didn't he? He held fast. He did not waver in his faith or in his confidence in the Father. He did not compromise in his responsibility to declare to the world the whole counsel of God. He did not draw back. Jesus did not give up ground when he knew that being obedient would cost him his own life. For even then Jesus held fast his confession. As one who obeyed God supremely, as one who was the ultimate example for us of how we should hold fast ourselves. Therefore, beloved, when we ask ourselves, how can I hold fast to my confession when there is so much against me? How can I maintain my confession when I sense so much weakness and inconsistency? Let us not deceive ourselves into thinking that our Savior will not understand or that our Savior is too busy, or that our Savior is unconcerned. No, let us not listen to the lies of our enemies who desire to convince us that Jesus will not sympathize with us, or that Jesus will not forgive us, or that Jesus will not restore us, given that we've fallen and we've fallen silent so often in the past. For the truth is, Jesus can and Jesus does sympathize with us. He knows through the experience of his own genuine and real humanity what it is to be severely pressured. He knows what it is to be persecuted from every side. He knows what it is to be tempted to go an easier way. Wasn't Jesus offered an easier way? Certainly he was. 
He knows what it is to be offered an easier way, a way that does not involve suffering, a way that does not involve the cross, rather than to hold fast to his confession and face hardship instead. And yet while Jesus was tempted in every respect as you and I are, we are assured here in verse 15 that Jesus was and Jesus remained without sin. Jesus never wavered. Jesus never compromised. Jesus never failed to hold fast his confession, even in the face of cruelty, in the face of mistreatment, and even in the face of an unjust death. And of course, the writer tells us this here in verse 15, not because we would do the same. I just shared with you that given the circumstances, if we had to stand in our own strength, we would fail. He's not giving us this information because he knows we would do the same, because you and I are not sinless. You and I do not have the ability to keep ourselves from sinning, but rather the writer wants to remind us of the sinlessness of Christ so that we'll be encouraged by the fact that we have a high priest and a mediator who is far greater than us who is perfect in every respect that we are not. And it is by resting in his perfection, in his sinlessness, in his perfect obedience, that we find forgiveness for our innumerable imperfections and sins. So the message here in Hebrews 4.15 is not that you and I must strive to be perfect and sinless like Christ. Let me repeat that. The message here in verse 15 is not that you and I must strive to be perfect and sinless like Christ. Because we can't do that. And that's not the message here. For it would not be an encouraging message at all if the writer was saying that we have to be in our own strength sinless like Christ. But rather the encouragement is found here in verse 15 in that there is one who already knows about our weaknesses and perfections, one who has already made provision for those sins that we've committed, and one who has the power not only to forgive us, but the power to help us hold fast that confession that we made through his help and his grace. This is not about our perfection, brethren. This is about Christ's perfection. And yet, how do we access this help and this grace that is so essential for holding fast to our confession? Well, the writer who has already told us who can help us in verses 14 and 15 now tells us how to receive these things from the hand of Christ in verse 16. For he writes here in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And no doubt, brethren, those of us who have been Christians for a while are familiar with this statement, draw near to the throne of grace. But I think we, we seldom think of this particular verse in its larger context that being Hebrews chapter 4. For while we are certainly encouraged to come frequently to God's grace for whatever we need, this particular exhortation is directed toward our need to hold fast 
in pressing times. So the context is holding fast, as I've already established. And the context deals with pressured times, pressuring times. To be so confident in who Christ is and in what Christ has done that we do not cave That we do not waver in our commitment to him and to his word. And what's remarkable about this exhortation is that it actually exhorts us to express one form of confidence in the assurance of securing another. Express one form of confidence in the assurance of securing another. For notice the writer urges us here at the beginning of verse 16... Let us then with confidence draw near. So we are to draw near with confidence, as weak as it may be, with whatever confidence we have by the grace of God, draw near. And why is this so significant? It's significant because these words reveal to us that the first step towards holding fast is simply having the confidence to draw near in prayer. It's a very simple confidence. It's a, it's a childlike confidence. It's a confidence that any believer, regardless of how mature he or she is, regardless of how long he or she has been in the faith, is able to do by the grace of God, just to simply draw near to Christ in prayer. For what we need to hold steadfast is not confidence in ourselves. It's not confidence in our knowledge of the scripture. It's not confidence that we know enough or that we're mature enough to stand in our own strength. But simple childlike confidence. That's all it is. Simple childlike confidence that we can draw near to God in prayer. That God will hear prayer. That God will respond That's all the faith you need. That's all the confidence you need. Just the confidence to know who God is and his goodness. That's all. That's all. That's where it begins. No more confidence than that. No more strength than that. There. That's simple. Simple confidence to know that God cares, that he hears Simple childlike confidence that we can draw near to God in prayer and we can seek from him what any child would have a right to ask for from his or her own father. For again, the logic is this. What good father would deny his own children the resources that they need to be more steadfast in their obedience to him? No good father would deny that. No good father would refuse to hear that. No good father would refuse to receive those words. No good father would deny any of those things, no matter how weak and faint it is. A good father would delight to see any of that in any form, in any degree, in any measure of strength. In fact, Jesus asked these same sort of questions in Luke 11, And verses 11 and 13, for in teaching his disciples about the goodness and generosity of God the Father, Jesus asked these questions. He said, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Think about his audience. When they're listening to these examples, they would say, no good father would do that. 
child asks for an egg and you give him a scorpion? What kind of wicked father would that be? No, they see where Jesus is going with this. And then he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Therefore, brethren, if we lack confidence to ask God for greater faith, if we lack confidence to ask God for the strength within ourselves, which we could not find, to stand against the situation, if we look to our own weak faith and we sense that it's in short supply, let us not be discouraged. Let us not be discouraged, for it is only confidence in the child hearing the light of God that we truly need. The only confidence that we truly need is that which draws us to God's throne in simple childlike prayer. For even in our drawing close to the throne of God, to the throne of grace, the grace of God is working within us. Even in our Drawing near, as weak as it is, the grace of God is working within us. Notice in the text what we find at God's throne of grace. When we draw close in childlike confidence, the writer informs us here in verse 16 of chapter 4 that we receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And of course, in the context of chapter 4 of Hebrews, the mercy is clearly that mercy that comforts us in our many distresses. We find comforting mercy is the idea here. We find comforting mercy. And the grace that helps us in our time of need is the grace that comes to us in the hour of our greatest trial and adversity. That grace that sustains us long after our human resources fail us. So what do we receive when we come with childlike confidence, comforting mercy, sustaining, refreshing grace, grace for every need in any circumstance at any time? For what is ultimately promised here in answer to our prayer is not immediate deliverance from our troubles. Notice that. That's not what the text says. We're not promised immediate deliverance from our troubles, but we are promised as we go to God with this confidence, no matter how weak it is, we are promised in return the settled spiritual confidence that God is with us and that God will keep us. He is with us and he will keep us. That there are no circumstances that we would face in this life, in this journey, that his grace is not sufficient for. So let us be encouraged, beloved. For while the task of holding fast to our confession is beyond our natural abilities, there is one who holds fast for us. I love that thought. My grip is not strong enough to hold fast. My arms are not strong enough to carry the weight of that responsibility. 
But there is one who keeps me in his grip. There is one who keeps me in his arms, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will not fail. There is one who always exists as the great ascended high priest for me. And always exists as the great ascended high priest for you, whoever lives and intercedes for you, who is your advocate, your defense attorney, the one who stands against your enemies, the one who wins your battles, the one who sustains you in the midst of the fire. For through the provision of his Holy Spirit and through the generosity of him in hearing and answering our prayers, he sustains us by his grace. He enables us to stand and to make our great confession. He gives us grace for the day, grace for the hour. And when the time comes in his providence for us to stand and to give the good confession, we will by his grace and in his way and in his time. May Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who passed through the heavens for us, oh, there he is in glory now. There he is in glory now. What a strategic place for him to be in. Amen. The best of places, the place of rulership, watching after us. May Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who has ascended through the heavens, receive all praise today, both now and forever. For he is our God, and he is our great ascended high priest. May we have the confidence, the childlike confidence, to approach him in prayer today. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today and for this message that we find here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, for what an encouraging message it is. For we're reminded that not only is Jesus ascended into the heavens and assumed his rightful place on the right hand of the Father, but he now also hears the cries, the pleas, the prayers of his people, who come to him with whatever confidence they have, be it weak or strong, and ask him for his help to make the great confession, to be consistent throughout their lives with what they have already confessed about the Lord Jesus. And we're delighted to know that he gives comforting mercy and generous sustaining grace to those who approach the throne of grace by faith. Help us to approach that faith, that throne by faith today. Help us not to trust in ourselves. Help, help us not to look to ourselves for strength. Help us not to deceive ourselves into thinking that we have the ability or the strength within ourselves to make a confession of Christ. Only his strength and grace do that, and it's available in abundance. So we thank you for these things today, and we ask you, 
to strengthen our faith through these words today. Renew our minds. Help us to think rightly about these things. Help us to have right thoughts about Christ ascended into heaven and right thoughts about his grace and right thoughts about the promises that are contained in these verses. Father, may you do a powerful work within us and within our church that we are always ready and able, not within our strength, but in Christ's strength, to make a good confession. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.